Progressive Learning Podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today, we're continuing to talk about who the Spirit is. Hey everyone, this is Richard. Welcome to the podcast. It's something a little different uh, this week. We had a Sunday teaching about who is the Spirit, um, which was a few weeks ago. You can check that out on Westside's website or through social media. Um, but we wanted to do a follow-up class, and so this is the recording, part one of that class. Uh, next week, we'll have part two. Um, so, enjoy. Okay. I, I'm here. I've eaten my chips, so I can talk to you. I've done texting my wife, who's having a panic attack, because my daughter's like, well, why aren't we going? It said on the slide there would be a dinner. She can always sniff out free food. <laughs> So then Anna's like, did you tell everyone there's dinner and now you're not doing dinner? It's like, no, people have bought their own dinner. If you didn't bring your dinner and you thought there was dinner, I am eternally sorry. <laughs> but hopefully there wasn't a miscommunication. Um, yeah. And, uh, man, my sandwich is looking, there's some really, like, really good looking stuff here. I'm a, little, I'm a little jealous of the food in the room. Um, hey. So I didn't introduce myself on Sunday, so I should introduce myself now, and then we'll pray, we'll dive in, um, and and then get to questions, things like that. So I am Richard, one of the pastors here, um, and I oversee um, like uh, discipleship and formation. So wherever that sort of stuff's happening, I'm normally involved. So like on the teaching team, overseeing uh, kids, youth, young adults, um, house of learning, um, and yeah, just like trying to trying to make sure like disciple making is is happening around the church. Um, yeah, did you guys know? Like, who knew? All right, let's do this. Who has only been coming to Westside, like? after COVID. So everyone's pretty long term. So did okay, a couple of new people. Um, you've been long term. You've been long term. Um, and do you guys know that uh, House of Learning does a podcast? Yes. Good. So if you didn't, because not everyone said yes. Um, so when COVID came we couldn't do this in person. It's actually, this is the first time doing something in person since COVID. Wow. Woo! Um, but yeah, when we couldn't do that, we went digital and we're like, well, we'll just keep, we'll start, and we're kind of keeping it going because um, it's really useful and like hundreds of people listen to that and we can't fit hundreds of people in the room. So if you didn't know about that, <clears throat> just put House of Learning in any podcast app and you'll find it. Um, so that's me. Um, and what we're going to do tonight, I did, I just sort of took all the things we could talk about the Holy Spirit, threw them up in the air, thought about what we said Sunday, and then tried to like grab the things that were closest to that, um, because there's definitely some more stuff I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about on Sunday. Um, so I'm going to like breeze through loads of scriptures, 
um, some of the scriptures I wanted to go through, I was like, oh, I put those in one place in the past for a different class, and so I just printed out that handout. So we are not going to go through everything on that handout because that would take many evenings. Uh, maybe that's something for another time. But it was convenient to have them all in one place. And I was like, you know what? You can have the whole handout. It's got like loads of cool theological terms and a couple of creeds to read. And you know, if you get bored, it'll give you something to do. Um, so, so that's what the handout is. And then I'm going to throw out loads of other scriptures we can read, we can unpack, we can talk about. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for you, for your work in our lives. Like, we're only here because of you. You have, like, interrupted our, our journey and grabbed our attention and shown us love and, and helped us fall in love with you. And we want to draw closer to you. We want to grow. We want to press in because of your love. And so lead us to you tonight. Holy Spirit, we're talking about you. Like, come and do your work. Like, so this isn't just like a human thing, but this is a human and divine thing. And um, yeah, speak, lead us, guide us, um, help us talk about the things that you know we need to talk about tonight. Amen. Okay. So uh, I'm going to start by I'm going to try to fit it in the buckets from Sunday. So the first bucket was all about power. Yeah, and um, oh, by the way, we'll uh, we'll talk for a bit. I also want to get loads of stuff out there, get your mind spinning. We'll have a break because you can only listen to me for so long without needing to get up and walk around. Um, and some people will at some point need to go check on kids who would have run away because the food's gone. Um, and so, so we'll have a little break, and we'll uh, we'll do Q and A time at the end as well. Okay, um, so. Spirit's power. So you remember that word ruach, that kind of word that's the same Hebrew word for breath and wind, but gets used for spirit. And so I wanted to um, just, there's some really cool scriptures. I, I want you to understand a little more of like how big of a theme throughout the Bible, this idea of like imagery that's to do with like breath and wind and spirit and power come together. Because once you're clued into it and you spot a pattern, then you're like reading your Bible and you start to be like, oh, there it is again, there it is again. And you start to read and kind of join up the scriptures. So I've just got a, a few more to throw on the pile for you. Um, so if you've got a Bible or Bible app, you can turn, but I'm going to read them or you can write them down and you can look them up later. But Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So the first part's really familiar to us, that at least the idea, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Because we read Genesis and we're like, God spoke, it happened, God spoke, it happened, God spoke, it happened, right? Repeated thing. Um, but that idea of like God speaking and things happening, and God speaking and God's power, like things happening, are really connected. So here it is in Psalms. But then the second part of it joins up together. The starry hosts were made by the breath, by the ruach of his mouth. Come in, guys. Um, and it, it's just... Uh, you can think of this sort of theme of the ruach, the power, 
being in like Genesis 1-2, like we read on Sunday, and kind of stop there. But then each time God speaks through the rest of that chapter, each speech act is breath coming out. So the idea of like God speaking and God's words are really connected with this idea of like the spirit and God's power. So they're really intimately connected. Come in, guys. Don't feel like you have to hover at the edge. And if kiddos want to go play in the kids' rooms, you can let them, it's fine, okay? So, um, and, and that, something really cool about Genesis I, I didn't get to say on Sunday. You know that the spirit was hovering over the waters, right? So what, what sort of image comes to mind when you imagine something like hovering over water? Hovercraft? Go, go nature. Because for, for, for the biblical cultures, no hovercrafts. Yeah. yeah, like a bird flying across, right? When Jesus was baptized, how did the Holy Spirit come and anoint him? As a dove, as a bird, right? So it's, it's, that, it's, it's the same imagery, but different language. So if we wanted to wrap different language around the same imagery that's used in the Gospels, we could say like, oh yeah, and the Spirit of God was hovering over Jesus, poised as Jesus was going to step into his ministry. So really cool connections. Um, in Exodus 14, like this is a little bit of me reading scriptures, a little bit of like Bible quiz time to keep you on your toes. Right, So they've come out of Egypt, they're standing in front of the Red Sea, they need a way across. What does God do to make a way? Pass the Red Sea, right? Okay, million dollar question. How? That's it. He sent, he sent a ruach. He sent a wind to part the Red Sea. So like, same theme again. Um, was that the word that was used? Yeah. Yeah, same word. Um, another one, this one's really interesting, is First Kings. And we've got probably a bit of a memory of this one. It's when Elijah is up on the mountain and he's going to have a chat with God. It says this, The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful ruach, wind, tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a gentle breath. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And that's really sort of interesting. So God's like approaching the mountain. And there's this windy power breaking rocks apart. Like, it's a storm scene of, like, thunder and lightning and, uh, you know, and, and that, like, that's often combined with God's power. Like, there's a lot of uh, those sort of combos. Like, later on, when they get to the next mountain, where Moses is going to be like, peace, guys, I'm going to go, like, chat to God, get the commandments. Like, the same sort of imagery of, like, storm on the mountain, wind on the mountain. But the sort of, uh, I don't know, the external, obvious power of God isn't what Elijah interacted with. He's like, I'm not going out to that. Stayed in the cave. But 
the, the ruach of gentleness drew him out of the cave to then go interact with God. So I love the idea of this, this, this ruach. Like, it's powerful, but it can also be gentle. Like, the spirit can also be gentle. Really awesome. Um, and I, I don't know. I was just, I have the, whenever I say something and I'm, like, not saying the whole thing, like, there's a voice in my head that's like, ah, oh, I wonder who else is thinking this. So, you know, I, I talked about power and the spirit's power, especially creating. Remember that on Sunday? Yes. Another biblical, biblical thing. And did anyone think, I thought Jesus did the creating? Like John 1, right? It's good, good Bible nerddom there. So John 1 begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Right? So, I mean... It, and, and it becomes clear, you read the rest of John's prologue, that it's talking about Jesus. So, like, Jesus is doing the creating. But what's the image that, that is wrapped around Jesus' activity of creation? It's speaking. So it's actually what John's... He's using this kind of spirit power, like, breathing out imagery. And you've got Jesus as kind of the, the other character in the scene who's the speaker like he's the like the one through whom the word is coming and it doesn't say this uh, well actually um, like Jesus talks a little bit later on in John about how the words he has he gets from the father so the father is pictured as the kind of source so even in John 1 1 you know it, it talks about creation and you've kind of got like the source of those words is the father and Jesus is the agent speaking, but the actual word that then makes things happen is the Spirit. So, like all three combined beautifully together. So that's really awesome. So, and hopefully, it like gets your mind clicking as you read your Bible. Like, oh, there's a storm, there's a wind, there's a you know, and just like all the times that's happening, it's it's a theme that's kind of uniting together the activity of God throughout uh, throughout the Scriptures. And, and we talked a little bit about Sunday, and we just did the Book of Acts. So, Pentecost, wind, fire, that's like mountain length. It, it's like Pentecost is a new mountaintop for God to be encountered. Um, so, but it's not just a mountaintop in, image, it's also a spirit filling the temple image. Okay, the mountaintop, actually, what we just read, even with Elijah, um, you know, it was like wind and fire, right? with the tabernacle it was the cloud the wind and fire and then at Pentecost it was the wind and tongues of fire so like God's presence showing up like the, the same images recurring over and over again really cool stuff so a little bit more about God's ruach but what I didn't get to say on Sunday is not only does God have a ruach creatures have a ruach we have a, a ruach which shouldn't be news to you because we talk about and the Bible talks about people having a spirit all the time but it's the same word it's that idea like we've got something in us that, that moves us it takes us from being like meat to being a person like a living being um, and there's just some really cool little bits of scripture that, um, that pick at their way of interacting with that idea because our modern conception, so many of us 
I don't know, we grow up in a culture of like, my life is mine, I'm independent, like, there was nothing and then there was Richard. You know, it's just kind of, <laughs> our narrative is just all about us. Um, so listen to this from Job, this is really cool, Job 34, verse 14. If it was his intention and he withdrew his spirit and his breath, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. It's literally if God took back his ruach and gathered his ruach back to himself, all humanity would perish. Mankind would just become dust again. So it's Job's just got this mentality of like, yeah, I have ruach, and it's like a little spark given to me by God's ruach, and it's a loner. Like, it's on loan from God. Like, the only reason I continue to have a spirit that makes me alive is because God, like, he, he keeps extending that to me. Which I think is really beautiful, like really awesome and really countercultural for us. Also, Job, Job 34, verse 14. Um, and it, it's just interesting... Um, we talked about on Sunday about one of the things the spirit does is interact with humans and so we we have a spirit and God interacts with our spirit uh, and our spirit can be like good or it can be bad so it's Psalm 32 blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit so, so the eye like that that kind of energy within us that moves us it can either be like deceitful which could actually be like self-deceptive or deceiving others or it can have integrity uh, the really famous one Psalm 51 David's like confession and repentance psalm after like adultery murder and all the stuff he did um, he says in Psalm 51 created me a pure heart which is a different word, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So the heart for the Hebrews, that was, uh, they didn't really have a word or a concept for brain. Like if you split someone's head open, they knew it wasn't hollow. Like they knew there was something in there. But the way we think of the brain is like, that's kind of where I live, where I make decisions, where I think things, where I feel things. You know, we just, that's our way of thinking. They thought that way about the heart. So the heart's the kind of seat of your person, like where your decisions are made and things like that. Um, whereas your spirit is more like mind, like or like a frame of mind. So you can have like a deceitful mind or you can have a steadfast mind. And it's really interesting as David's like craving purity in his heart and steadfastness in his spirit he goes on to say, I really need your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It just brings together like that work of the Spirit, like transforming, renewing, creating new creation, um, and his power that it's a presence. Um, like he, David was aware of that presence, which is awesome. Um, and uh, who did we talk about? We talked about Basilel on Sunday. Um, but I was like, I, I mentioned some other people, didn't read you any scriptures, which is cheating. So, <laughs> some scriptures. 
<clears throat> so Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, with the ruach of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. Because Moses said, follow this guy. So it's like God had anointed Joshua and because of the work, it's just joining up because of the work of the Spirit which like they, they knew about or they could tell, like there was something that was evident to the people of Israel because this is like a cause and effect kind of thing in this verse it's not like, oh Joshua had the Spirit of Wisdom, by the way, also everyone followed him and he was a cool leader it's like no, because God had filled him with the spirit of wisdom. He was able to lead, and the Israelites listened to him. So it's really cool, this discernment even that the, the Israelites had. Um, other interesting words about David uh, at the end of his life, so Second uh, Samuel 23. Um, and these are like, these are his parting, like, deathbed words. Um, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. What's that utterance? The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The Rock of Israel spoke to me. So, just... You know, of, of all the things David could have put front and centre after his life, all the things he'd done, the battles fought, the conquests, the, like, the enemy seen off, you know, all that stuff in the middle is, not, not just in the middle, sorry, it, like that front and centre is the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. Like that's that most important thing. So in the same way the Israelites could discern, like, oh, like, God's doing a thing with Joshua. David had that like self-reflection of like God's done a thing with me because of his spirit, because of his spirit being with me, speaking to me. Um, and so, it, I mean, it goes it goes on and on. But I wanted to give you at least a few like backup verses. Um, it just it really enriches the picture the more we keep reading about this sort of stuff. So God has a ruach. We have a ruach. Those are not the only works out there. There are also evil spirits. So um, I just picked one, and it's because we happened to be reading it at Young Adults um, last week. So I was like, oh, that's getting in. Um, and it's uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And the first few verses of that chapter, Paul's talking about the kind of transformation we've undergone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he says this, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them, among the world at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So it paints a picture of like a human spirit that all the things those psalms weren't asking for. You know, it's not steadfast. It's not pure. Um, it's 
yeah, it, it just it, it's broken. It's it's appetites, it's desires. Like they they've all got twisted and messed up. Why? Because of this spirit of the kingdom of darkness that is at work in those who are disobedient. So we have a spirit. God interacts with our spirit, and that's where you see some like cool things. David, you know, can hear what God has to say. Joshua can have wisdom. He can lead. Like cool stuff can happen. But also, these evil spirits can interact and press in and influence and interact with the human spirit as well. Can you say that reference again? Yeah, it's Ephesians 2, first few verses. So, so a range of spirits, which, you know, if you've ever read the gospel, shouldn't be a surprise, because Jesus is like casting out demons left, right, and centre. <laughs> um, it's all kicking off. Um, but I think like Paul's perspective that like the way he puts it here is really interesting is that idea that um, as human beings like our spirit is not a neutral thing like either we are being like elevated and empowered and connected with God and becoming fully human or we're being like connected to and influenced by evil spirit, the spirits of the kingdom of darkness and it, it's dehumanizing and breaking us um, and so it's like that contrast which again is a really different worldview. you know m- like most of us unless we were like I don't know, just really had the word of God spoken over us from the get go, like our cultural like world view is that humans are pretty neutral you know, you can either become good or become bad, but you've kind of got the power to to choose. And Paul's like, well, no, you're you're going to be like in one camp or another, which, which is pretty standard gospel language. Like, you know, as humans, we're either re- rebellious, like alienated from God, broken, in need of rescue, or like Paul says, dead, or we've been made alive and all the good things in Jesus. But it's uh, it's just a really interesting connection here that that all of that stuff that is trapping people in the kingdom of darkness is a result of the influence of the spirits of the kingdom of darkness, which is actually profoundly influences the way we tell the gospel. Because and actually this is a favourite conversation we don't have time for tonight. But like you read Genesis right. I think we grow up in a nation where typically the gospel is shared in a way that God's the good guy and we humans are the bad guys. We're like we're the anti-hero, we're the enemy. Um, actually, if you read Genesis, Genesis carefully, humans are never cursed. The snake is cursed. The snake is the enemy. We are the victim who has got so embroiled in the enemy that we now contribute to evil. So we're like, we're a victim with also some guilt and shame. And that's kind of what Paul's saying as well, pointing at. It's like, he's pointing at people who are dead and not like slapping them about the head. And like, how dare you be dead? But like, you're dead because of the spirits of the kingdom of darkness. So like, helping unpack, like, you're, you're a victim. But because, and then he goes on to unpack, but, but being a victim of this influence has broken you, has 
disordered your desires, like has brought evil in, and now you're a producer of evil as well. But it's just it's interesting what like Paul and the Bible constantly weave together those two things together, like that. Uh, yeah, when the finger of blame, or yeah, the way we would say it, get, gets pointed, you know, and we think about what we need rescuing from, it gets pointed at me and the enemy. Which is just it's really, really healthy theology to keep both of those in view. <coughs> okay, so that's some more ruach, some more power stuff. Now some more. Yeah, let's do them at the end. Right, make a note of it. Yeah, well, sorry. Right, write, write it down. Um, let's do some person stuff, okay? So, um, maybe that I come up with questions. So I'll leave that. I, I want to talk a bit more about Trinity because that was the thing I said. We should talk more about Trinity. We had to do a really quick, like, skip through it. Um, so. Grab this. Let's have a look at the scriptures that are on here, okay? Because someone actually, uh, a couple of people on Sunday asked, like, I'm kind of confused. Like, I don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, and you won't. The word Trinity is a word that we have invented, like, centuries after Jesus, to try to label something that we've put together from the ingredients that are in the Bible. So we're taking lots of things, we're like, oh, the Bible says this about Jesus, says this about God, like all of those ingredients, so we've put them together and we're like trying to synthesize it. How can we put that together? How can we make sense of that? And like, I don't know, give it some formalism, give it some words, like make it a concept that then we can kind of grab a hold of and say, okay, that's kind of condensed all that material into something we can understand. And uh, so it, it's, it's not like the church, when I say a few centuries, it's not like the church was, um, you know, just doing its thing, and it was fine, it had the Bible, it was happy times, and then after a few centuries, someone was like, uh, guys, anyone thought about uh, something like a trinity? Like, like, right from the get-go, they were wrestling with these questions, right? So think about it, like Jewish monotheism, okay, there is one God, really, really clear, there's one God. And, you know, these Jewish disciples, apostles, are going around, you know, wanting to be joined up with Jewish monotheism. And they're like, oh, yeah, and Jesus. Oh, and, yeah, he's God too. <laughs> so right from the outset of the New Testament, people are like, oh, this is like, this is messing with people's heads. The Jews actually have a really nuanced idea of that oneness, like, even within, you know, the centuries and millennia before Jesus. Um, that's a topic for another day. But um, especially for um, the Greek and Roman world, you know, to encounter people who claimed as one God and talked about Jesus and a spirit and a God in heaven or a father, it, it, it just, like, it didn't make any sense. So it was provoking the church to have to think about this stuff. It just took centuries to finally land on, that's it, that's the right way to talk about it. Like, they, they kept like, talking about it this way, like, no, 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 that's not quite right, because it says this in the Bible here, so that can't be it. Okay, well, let's try something else. Oh, no, that's not quite right. And when I say that's not quite right, there was, like, murders, 
assassinate, like, <laughs> ancient theology, a lot more interested in the way we do theology today. Um, <laughs> putting, it, putting it mildly. Like, so they were into it. They were debating, they were battling these things. Um, yeah. So let's, um, let's pick at some of the, like, those ingredients, some of the stuff we need, right? And so the first section of verses here are all things where you see this kind of triad showing up alongside each other of Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's not always those words, but it's those kind of, uh, those people being talked about. Like, uh, typically in the Old Testament when it says Yahweh, that's the same thing as talking about, like, the Lord Almighty or something like that, that like a father. Um, another Greek word for Lord, Adonai, which is more like Lord as in, like, Captain, my Captain, like, that kind of military Lord, um, typically refers to Jesus. So in the Greek and the Hebrew, a little bit easier. For us in English, we had to, like, pick through uh, with a bit more care. So check this out, First Corinthians 12. And we're not going to, like, exposit all of these. Um, I just really want you to see, like, the way the Holy Spirit keeps showing up alongside the other two. Um, so you, you can hopefully feel biblically settled. Like, oh, yeah, like, this is, this is a thing. I, and you can figure out what to do with it, but at least you'll know, like, it's a thing. So there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So these, these gifts, we're actually, later this summer, we'll do a whole, probably a few Sundays about that word. Right? So it, it's literally like a present, like something that gets given to you. So there's varieties of presents, but the same spirit. Okay? So there's a spirit doing something. There's varieties of service, so that's what the gifts are for. Like, you know, if I give you a shovel, you'd be like, why'd you give me a shovel? Like, we're going to dig up that tree. That's the, that's the service. The shovel isn't the service, that was the gift. So there's varieties of service, and when, when we move from like the empowering, because these gifts are often like manifestations of God's power, and move to the, hey, what are we going to use it for? Jesus comes into focus. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there's varieties of activities. So varieties as like, so everyone's on the same mission, doing service, that all wraps around the same mission, but doing it in all these different ways, right? So he's using the shovel normally. I've, I'm like holding the blade in my teeth and like I'm doing it really weirdly, poking the handle in the ground. Like you can, you can use the gifts in all sorts of different ways. That's a bit of a super silly example. But, but the thing that Paul is trying to get at in this Corinthian church where their idea of like diversity and unity has really got messed up so then the different ways that people are, are doing things as the spirits interacted with them as they're all on the same mission of Jesus he reminds them but it's the same God, the same Father who empowers them all in everyone and that sense of empowers is like is the source of all of this power it all is flowing from the same Father so it just he's trying to build in this unity by actually pointing at Father, Son and spirit, which is really cool. Um, another one, Second Corinthians. It is God, so that's, oh, actually, I think we did this one on Sunday. So that's the father figure who establishes us with you in Christ. So Paul's talking about, like, 
he and the people who planted the church and the Corinthians, so that's like us and you guys, God is doing something with us and he's establishing us in Christ and he's anointed us and put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So that's like answering the how. So God's doing something. What's he doing? Well, he's doing something with us in Christ. Okay, so we've got like different sets on the stage. And then how's he doing it? Another sort of character enters. It's the Holy Spirit. So all three involved, but all three distinct from each other. Um, we're not gonna. We're not gonna have time to do all of these. I'm gonna skip to. Um, I'm gonna skip to Ephesians two. So this is later on in the chapter we read from earlier, um, and he's talking about. So we read the bit about being dead and how dark and horrible that was. And Paul goes on to then talk about being made alive and then what Jesus does with that new life. So he's creating this new life in people. And then what's he building in contrast to the influence of the evil spirit that was building a kingdom of darkness? And he, instead of talking about kingdom, he talks about a temple. So that temple, that house, is... Uh, and those... Those uh, images, uh, Paul kind of fluctuates between, which is a bit confusing for us, until you remember that temple is just the house where God is. So they're really close together, actually. So that house is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So if we sort of picture it in our mind, like, okay, God is building a house. So God building a house and you're looking at the house and you're like what's the house made of and you're like oh it's it's us but like the the foundation stone is actually Jesus and the whole structure is being joined together growing into a temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together so now we start to situate ourselves like oh there's a Richard brick you know there's you know we're just seeing ourselves in this now as well and it's a temple that is a dwelling place for God by the spirit so all three, like being talked about distinctly from each other, but alongside each other. Um, let's just go down to the last one, First Peter one. And and there's there's loads of these kind of ways that people in the New Testament, um, especially, would pray or talk, sometimes they're quotes of what biblical scholars think are like early hymns and things like that um, that were part of the early church's liturgy um, but they, they all had this like threefold ring to them so according to the foreknowledge of God the Father which really makes sense, if like anyone's going to be doing some foreknowing and choosing and things like that, like God's the chooser, like he's the source of it all, right, like everything gets initiated by the Father so foreknowing, making a choice like that, yeah, that kind of seems to belong with God the Father. So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, so in the being made set apart by the Spirit, like the Spirit's doing something to actually set you apart. We tend to think of sanctification as um, like being made morally better. Um, but 
but to be sanctified means to be made holy in and, and being moral is only one little slice of being made holy it's being made so special that it's clear that what you are for is God you know it's a, I mean the, the classic what does holiness what does set apart mean it's like you know if uh, if there was a meal tonight you know I gave everyone a plate of food and then I gave Dave his food in a bowl that had Fido written on it he'd be like he'd be like Richard what's up with this like what are you doing man like that bowl is clearly set apart for a different use right and we're set apart for a special use so the spirit is setting us apart which is really cool language again we're like entangled in this kingdom of darkness and the spirit is unsetting us from that disentangling us from that and tangling us into God so it's clear that we belong there that that is our purpose that that's what we're for so the spirit is doing that what, and, and what's that all for? For obedience to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the model. He's like the forerunner. He is like the encapsulation of new creation reality, of restoration, of renewal. All made 100% actual. And we are being sanctified, you know, for that. That's the purpose. That's the reality. That's the thing. But again, all three together, really, really cool. So that, that's some of like the three next to each other. Um, if we stop there, if that was all we had from the Bible, then we'd be like, great, there's three gods. Awesome, we're tritheists. You know, life would be a lot simpler, like doctrinally, just believing in three gods, not that complicated. You just think there's three gods. But there's some more material, right? So, and... I mean, the, the first two here just underline how important this is. So Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? In the ancient world, it wasn't like, um, oh, we believe in our God, you know, because we're Israelites, so we believe in Yahweh. But, like, over there, like in the next city, you know, they believe in Bob, Right? Like, no, all the other nations, their view of spirituality was that there was, like, a god of everything. There was, like, a god of tying your shoelaces, a god of, like, the sun coming up and going down, a god of rain, a god of the land. A god, like, there were gods for everything. So God is distancing himself from that idea and being like, dudes, there's just one. There is just one. And it's really interesting in Mark, right, so here's Jesus, who we're saying is God too. And Jesus asks, what's the most important commandment? And the scribe answers, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, sorry, Jesus answered. The scribe, the scribe came and asked Jesus, and Jesus answered. This is, like, this is the most important one. Like, so if Jesus had any intentions on breaking open the box and being like, guys, you thought there was one God, but actually there's two of us, I'm, I'm God too. Like, this would have been his opportunity, right? But he doesn't. He's like, no, no, there is one God. And all these things, like, we're going we're gonna, to uh, read some bits of John later, like, things like where he says, don't you know, like, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Like, just trying to continually join up these three. Um, tit- uh, Timothy, sorry, First uh, Timothy 2, 5. There is one God. And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
That's a little complicated because it seems to distinguish the man Christ Jesus from God. But it's talking about the role of God incarnate. Like God stepped into a mediating function by becoming incarnate. It doesn't change his God status, it just changed his mediator status. It's pointing at the incarnation there. Um, and, you know, just to put the fear of God into you, if you're an ancient Jew, Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? Um, and God wasn't just like, you shall have no idols, but like, don't take any other gods. Like, there's just one of me. Right? There's just one of me. So when someone over there is like, yeah, but what about the God of tying shoes? But like, that's, no. Like, that's not a thing. Like, there's just one God. Don't take any other gods. Right? So that it really constrains us against being like, oh, yeah, I'm happy, like Yahweh, you know, maybe we'll call him Father, which is an Old Testament thing as well. Um, and then Jesus comes along, and like, maybe, maybe we'll just add one more. Like, no, no other gods. Like, there's one God. We can only have one. When we answer how many gods are there, God will answer one. I can't remember which, which gathering it was on Sunday. I asked, like, so how many gods are there? And it was like, two people went, one? I was like, oh, like, this is bad. Like, we don't like risk a heresy in this church or a lack of confidence. Like, one of the two. Um, that was a bit weird. Um, yeah, it was tricky. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they need to repent. <laughs> yeah. um, so here, here's a few more that are not necessarily tr- like the threefold. It's not necessarily the three, but where we see one of the three interacting with one of the others, helping us see that like these are actually distinct. And we don't have time to do like is the Father a person? Is Jesus a person? Hopefully, Jesus being a person pretty easy but um yeah we don't have time to do that but um like that if we were really getting into it we would do that as well um so the the first and like really famous one uh, go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing in, in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit not in the name of the father son holy spirit but in the name of the father and of the son and of so it's like and uh, name is not like in the name of Bob like in in the name of meant in like the reputation in the purpose in the belonging you know that's like you know who who do you belong to whose ambassador are you you know if you're if you're at uh, you know at, at the White House dressed in weird robes and sashes and like gold braid and you know one of those kind of events people were like. Oh, like, who do you represent? Like, oh, I'm from Estonia. You know, like, that, that name language is about, like, who you represent. So it's being baptised into being a representative of three, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit. Really cool. Um, actually, some of these are just three, they, they are threefold. Um, <laughs> Second Corinthians is a really cool one. Uh, so I'm going to skip that, go down to John 6. Um, this is like a really, really obvious, like, oh, wait a second, Jesus and the Father can't be the same. So this is Jesus speaking. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, the Father. Right? If Jesus and the Father are just like 
different names. Like, you know, God is, I mean, we've got a severe form of like paranoid schizophrenia going on. Like something deeply broken. Or they're actually distinct. Distinct centers of will. Jesus has a will, and he says, I'm not doing my will. The Father has a will, and Jesus says, I'm submitting and going to do what he wants. Two sets of wants, two sets of wills, two sets of choices, two people. Um, let's do another one. Uh, oh, this is kind of cool in Proverbs. So I, I, don't, I haven't written out enough of this, but the beginning of Proverbs gives this personification of wisdom. As like if wisdom was a person. Um, and uh, it's uh, like uh, wisdom is then speaking to the person who is being offered all of this counsel, all of this wisdom, as if like, so how are you going to respond? Um, which is normally uh, joined up with Jesus. So Jesus is the, the one like offering this opportunity. And, and he says to the listener, if you turn up my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and make my words known to you. So, I mean, if you're just going to pour out yourself, you know, you would use different language here. There's, there's a definite distinction, like, I am going to do something with something else, my spirit, pour my spirit out. Um... Uh, we read Ezekiel uh, on Sunday. Didn't didn't point this out because we were talking about something different. But the whole idea of God putting a new spirit, like His spirit, within uh, it's kind of interesting. That, I mean, we'll talk about this in a sec. The way the three kind of intertwine. That God can distinguish. Not I'm going to put myself in you, but I'm going to send my spirit and put my spirit in you. So that when that thing's happened, it'll be like I'm with you as well. Because it is all three joined up together. Um, and uh, let's just, like the last one, Genesis 1. Uh, God said, let us make man in our image. The plural. Let us make in our. Like really, really intriguing. You know, for a, an, an idea of like what's what's this concept of God that's being laid out as a foundation point at the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures? It's a God who goes by us, right? So there's there's a few uh, a few bits and pieces. So like, then how how did the church put this together? And that is like a long, long story because, like I said, it's a few centuries. Um, but uh, oh, let's we can draw it. A really useful um, model, like a picture of orthodoxy, of like what, what keeps us in the margins of like saying the right thing, is this thing called the shield of Athanasius. Athanasius is this brilliant um, theologian bishop in the church. Um, and you can see this imagery all over churches, like all over the world, um, like really beautiful stained glass, stonework carvings, things like that. Um, this is going to be my picture. It's not going to be beautiful. Um, so you have God in the middle, and then you have Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, 
and then you just have to get the right words in the right places. So we write is on those three and is not on these, which is really simple but quite profound. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. Like, there's distinction, but there's only one God in this picture, so there's also unity. Unity and distinction. Which is really interesting, because unity and diversity are biblical themes that seem to be things God cares about in creation, like he creates male and female. He creates different ethnicities, different languages. Um, the church, the gifts operate in diversity with unity. Like it, it's a repeated, repeated theme. I wonder if it's a repeated theme in creation and God's into it, but there's, there's something good about that. And that goodness is because that's actually how God himself is, diversity and unity. And so the way the church then like came up with talking about this was like when we think of like beings so that's like um, uh, a self-contained sustained like something that subsists in reality it's not an abstract idea it's not a concept it's not a word for something but it's something that actually has being how many gods have being one of them there is one God. There is one being, God. But that one being actually contains within it, actually expresses itself through three persons who are actually distinct. And it, it's not like um, three modes of being, right? I, I have that. There's like happy Richard, and then I'm kind of tired, introvert, leave me alone Richard, and then like, oh, but people are coming over to play board games, so I'm going to have a Coke and some sugar and like be energetic, Richard. Like, <laughs> it, it's not that. It, it's a, and that was actually condemned as heresy. The idea that, you know, if it was like a, a chart, um, you know, going through time, it's like, well, you, you know, God does some fathering and then he does some sunning and then some spiriting. And, you know, he's just different at different times. Like, no. God is always father, son, and spirit, always all three, never, never one of them missing. Um, so one being, but three persons. And these three persons, they, um, actually the word might be on the sheet somewhere. There it is. On the key terminology, the second one from the, the bottom is called perichoresis. It's a, a Greek term that comes from John of Damascus. Uh, and it's, it's the word for the theology that comes behind uh, something I said on Sunday about how it's actually really practical for us to think about the way that all three are always operating together. And the, the idea of perichoresis is that Father, Son, and Spirit, because they are one being, the being, the essence of the Spirit, completely intertwines and intermingles with the being and essence of the Son because they're the same being. Like, they cannot be pulled apart. Um, it, it, would, it would be like, um, I don't know, saying, like, oh, you are a mother and a daughter. You know, I, 
I can't make, I can't just like separate out the mother you and the daughter you. Like the two, they subsist in, in one being. They have to come together. Uh, the difference there when we talk about mother and daughter is we're talking about like a role and a relationship, not a person. So then we had to like stretch our mind that little extra further and be like, oh, the thing that can't be pulled apart is actually three persons that completely interact with each other in, in like perfect partnership. So that there is only one will of God. There's only like one activity of God. There's only one action of God. But whenever God acts, Father, Son, and Spirit may bring something different to the table. But what they bring, it unifies as like one thing God is doing. Like one thing God cares about. There's just, there's no division, there's no fracture, there's no tension within these beings of the Trinity. Um, like, example. Richard? <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me, quick, quick question. Um, thinking about the elements of the Trinity, um, the persons, what, what adjectives could you give to the elements of the Trinity that would, that would reflect their individual personhood while not not inner like while well, not reflecting on the fact that they're 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 not the same. Yeah, so it's like what what how, how do you how can we talk about this accurately? How, you, how can you care yeah, yeah yeah I'm just and I'm I'm just I mean this is you know I've been a Christian for a long time and this is always something you kind of study and go through but I mean thinking through this of like how, how do I they're all one but how do you how can you describe one as being person without describing it as being separate from the Trinity, but also be able to describe it because we're calling it an ex- yeah. individual person of the, of the Trinity that's not, that's different from the other two. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of clarity is brought to our Trinitarian thinking if whenever someone asks us a question about something that's going to get the juices flowing, we say, are you talking about persons or beings? So we're like, oh, God loves us. They're like, well, what do you mean loves us? What does that look like? Well, what do you mean, does a being love us? What do you mean do persons love us? And trying to get the right categories. Because love's the kind of thing that persons do, not the, not the a being by itself. Like, love's expressed through persons. So it is true to say that like God loves us, but actually that love gets expressed by Father, Son, and Spirit in a like united front. Like imagine getting adopted and you know walking into the household and being like, "Do you love me?" You know, and having this like mother and father that are so united that they're actually one being. This is kind of like the one flesh thing, marriage and one flesh. Right? It's a picture of something. It points, it gets at something. Um, but it's a metaphor. Like only God achieves this reality. But, you know, you know, if those two, mother and father, were totally united as one actual being, you know, 
but they're still mother and father, you would still be like, oh yeah, I'm loved by mother and loved by father. It, it wouldn't make much sense to talk about I am loved by some kind of like hybrid concept of parent thing, parent being. Because that's not the kind of thing love is. Love's expressed by persons. So we always got to like check, like are we asking a question that is a being level, kind of being category? Because that will often lead us to the unity and the oneness. Or are we asking a question that's kind of about like the more person level? And then we'll see a threefoldness, but it will always be a threefoldness in perfect unity, in perfect like joined upness. And and some of the like, what are ways to talk about this? I mean, there's a couple of creeds, I think, on the back, which are like, so the bottom one is the Nicene Creed. So you know I said it took a few centuries. The church is, aha, we've arrived, and the church ever since has been like, yes, that was the right way to talk about it. Of course, it's language that's now like 1,700 years out of date, so it might not mean a lot to us. We have to think really carefully. And then there's one, you know, because I want to give you something a bit more modern from 675, so only 1,400 years old. Um, so, so there's those. Some, sometimes another, like, how can we talk about this is, like, how can we picture this? Um, so I'll just give you my favourite kind of metaphor of the Trinity, okay? Um, and it's, it's a bit weird, but it's the most accurate one I've come across. Because sometimes people say things like, oh, maybe it's like, maybe God's like water, because water can be um, steam, uh, ice, and liquid, uh, which is unfortunate because physicists now know there's actually five states of matter and we don't want to go, you know, water could be a Bose-Einstein condensate. What about that? So, um, But if, if there were just three states of matter, the, the problem is that water is never ice, liquid, and steam at the same time. So that, that would be like this kind of moving up and down thing. So that, that metaphor, that image doesn't really work. So here's one thing I did. Uh, sorry, think does. So have you ever heard in Greek mythology of Cerberus? Yes. So Cerberus is the three-headed hound of Hades that guards the gates of Hades. Okay? So it's a dog with three heads. Now, the difference, because it's Greek mythology, always there's like arguing and problems and the three heads hate each other and argue all the time and stuff like that. So we have to put that to one side and imagine that these three heads, but they are distinct persons, are perfectly unified. Okay? Perfectly unified. And, and maybe they have different roles. Right? Maybe, maybe head number one is always like initiating the idea. And like head number two is always like affirming and supporting. And head number three is always like the voice that says, here's how we can do it. Uh, I'm, which is Trinity-ish, but I'm just making stuff up now, right? But there's, there's three heads, different role, but one being, right? So Cerberus is one being, okay, with three persons, but the Trinity is not a three-headed dog. The, tr the Trinity, God, God is spirit. He's invisible. He, he doesn't have a body, right? But imagine Cerberus dies. What would the soul of Cerberus look like? Because if the three heads just have separate souls and disappear off, then it's not Cerberus anymore. It's three beings. That's like tritheism. But it's one soul, one like invisible, incorporeal, immaterial essence 
but that is of three people. And that's as close of an image as I've been able to find. Which, when you're having to go to like the dog that guards the hates of gates of hell, like, <laughs> yeah, you know it might not be for a Sunday morning. <laughs> so, but another thing we can do is just like pick a little bit about like, okay, so what do we see these persons doing? And so we did a bit of this on Sunday and talked about like the father as the source, Jesus as like the site manager, and the spirit as like the, the labor or something like that. Um, the labor, yeah. Um, like here's, it, it's really interesting to like think this through. We could do it with loads of examples, but I just thought about like Jesus going from Gethsemane to the cross. So, how is the so how is the Father present in that activity that is going on? So the Father has a plan, has told Jesus what he needs to do as part of the plan of what God wants to achieve. And the Father is holding that plan, right? And it's not going to change. It creates safety. It creates trust. Like, everything is grounded and rooted in the Father having this plan that he, like the all-powerful Father, is not going to let slip. Um, and that creates the love and the security for Jesus. Now, the complication is that it's the incarnate Jesus, which we'll talk about this, by Shelby, we'll talk about this Sunday. Um, so Jesus has emptied himself and is living his same person now through a human frame of reference, through a human life, um, which is a whole heap of other questions. There's a whole other long evening of stuff we could talk about, which would be really fun, but we can't tonight or we'll, we'll still be here on Sunday um, so we don't want to do that but the father then creates the love and the security and the trust for Jesus living as a man to keep walking towards the cross Jesus is interacting with the father and his interaction with the father's like grounding of this plan is enabling Jesus to submit every voice in his flesh that says don't die don't suffer to the Father's will and say we're going to do this it enables Jesus to actually act out the Father's plan but like how how is that weakness of sinful flesh getting overcome because Jesus this, people often miss this Like people have this idea Jesus became incarnate in like pure holy wonderful glowing super flesh which is why Jesus could just do all the things he could do no it says Jesus took the form of sinful flesh. So he had all the weaknesses that we have, right? And we've got all these opportunities, even, even now as Christians, and we know how hard it is to get like our sinful flesh to like go on the ride the Spirit's trying to take us on, <laughs> right? So how did Jesus do it? Well, it's the Spirit's power. So the Father and Jesus are interacting, and, but then the Spirit is actually enabling this human flesh to silence all of its weakness, to find all of like emotional, physical, spiritual strength to keep walking towards his trial, knowing he's going to die. The Spirit is empowering this. And, I mean, Romans says this, that it was through the Spirit that Jesus offered himself to the Father. So, so even the Spirit's like, ex- 
experiential, relational, powerful presence is enabling Jesus in human form to actually connect to the Father in order to offer his life as a sacrifice. To not offer it in abstract, not to like, well, I'm going to leave my life here on the altar and we'll see what the Father does, but to do that action in dialogue, like in actual present, like face-to-face interconnection with the Father because of the work of the Spirit. So it's one thing, like Jesus is walking to a cross, but all three are like really intimately involved in it. And I think this, like we can play the same game with like everyday things. Um, like, uh, you know, maybe you've had that moment where you're like about to have a parenting fail. And, um, and those of you who are not parents, you've still had parenting fail moments. <laughs> you, you just had it with a friend or someone else. <laughs> you've still had those moments, right? The father is the source of love. He roots and grounds our sense of security that like that's what love is and that love matters and that love works. He says he'll provide. So like it creates that trust. It creates that reality. It puts that voice in our head that says there's more on the table here than just me. And it creates the safety for us to like extend trust. And and that creates freedom. Like, all of those father's realities create the opportunity for us to be free to not yell, but to act differently. And Jesus, though, Jesus is the one who has shown us what love looks like when it's a human being. So Jesus takes those concepts and, like, puts them, like, rubber on the road in front of us like what does it actually look like what does an action of love actually look like and he has battled against all the things in the way he's that connection that relationship that reality in that moment present to us of like empathy and compassion and support and encouragement and and encouragement from someone who's actually done it And then the Spirit is the one who made that possible in Jesus and then makes that possible in us. So if if we had those, if we knew the kind of abstract reality of the Father and Jesus has like brought it close, but all it was was an example and the most profound example imaginable, but we just tried to do ourselves, we would still nine times out of ten end up yelling at someone. It's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that then makes that possibility a reality in us and can do so in a way that isn't just a one-off, that each time we interact that way, there's some of our flesh we say no to and it actually dies and goes away, which is another thing we'll look at in the summer. Like Paul has this whole theology of like the way that we crucify our flesh so all three intimately involved in like everyday things in our life I think that's like really practical and really cool and actually like that can make a difference like that can matter to us so three persons active always active okay Uh, okay I just noticed the time you've listened to me for about an hour I said we were going to go about an hour and a half so we should definitely have a break Uh, so let's stretch our legs um Beg people for leftovers who haven't finished the sandwiches. 
grab a drink. If you don't know, there's a water machine just outside down the corridor, bathroom break, all that stuff. And we'll come back in like five or ten minutes. There's a few other things I can say, but then we'll mostly we'll get to some Q&A time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by Jesus Church College, based at Westside Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.